This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 2, Episode 8. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites, and today is Wednesday, May 26th, 2021. As of the recording of this show, I'm your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Jacob Paulson. Thanks for having me. Hey, I appreciate you being here. Although you didn't have much choice, or I would have been doing a solo show. Yeah, that would have been embarrassing. I didn't want you to be embarrassed. (laughs) Uh, Matthew is, uh, uh, let's just say that I don't know how much we'll see him on the afternoon episodes going forward, because he has an an evening commitment now that infringes on the, uh, so you see he's Eastern time. So, uh, 6 PM, his time is when this, this episode kicks off. And, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll make an adjustment in the time to accommodate him more. I don't know. He's off like doing Bible study or something with men, as he said this morning in in our daily meeting, I, I liked how he said that. He's like, you know, with men, yeah, like not, not some like you know, co-gender. You know, everyone's invited Bible study. No, like this is manly Bible study that he does in the evenings, <laughs> which is cool. It's all good. Yeah. Hey, you know, it's, it's there's a place for everything. You know, I that's mean, right. Uh, uh, yeah. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll miss uh, Matthew for this episode. I got Jacob here. Today's episode is titled "The Mother of All Malfunctions." Really, what this is, we're gonna. We're going to share with you the latest Shooter Ready Challenge from ShooterReadyChallenge.com, which this month features the Type 3 malfunction, or also known as double feeds. So we're going to discuss the the idea, the concept of double feed malfunctions in this episode today, share with you some different ways of diagnosing and breaking those down as as far as how to solve them or fix them, and share with you also some some different ways of doing that that may buy you more time. And time, I think, is is critical. So today's episode, though, is sponsored and brought to you by also sponsors of Shooter Ready Challenge, which are first LASR app or laserapp.com. That's their website. Uh, the LaserX dry fire uh, software, which Jacob and I have used for years now at this point, uh, I, I'm, I seem to recall getting my first license for the original Laser app probably close to seven years ago, Jacob. Does that sound about right? That was probably 2015-ish in there. Yeah, maybe 2014. So close to seven. Close. Uh, it's been a while. So, so that's kind of crazy to think. We've had a relationship with those guys a long time. and They've been you know big-time supporters of ours and of this podcast uh, and also, again, are sponsors of Shooter Ready Challenge, where we feature their latest version of that software known as Laser X, uh, which I think is the best one they re- that they've released. Period. Uh, it you know it has the downside that it does require you to be connected to an internet uh, uh, service of some kind. You got to be on Wi-Fi or or that sort of thing, but you can use your iPhone, Android phone, tablets, iPads, whatever. Uh, your computer. And that was the thing for a long time for me. I mean, we've talked about this before about how I basically had a Windows laptop for the sole purpose of using Laser App because for a long time the the classic version was only the only thing available, and you had to have a Windows PC uh, to uh, to use it. So super excited when LaserX came out, and also it's a great way of getting started with that software because you can try it out. For you know a month, basically, it's relatively inexpensive. If you want to pay just for a month, but you can also purchase a lifetime license, which I think is absolutely worth it. Uh, and, and that's a perfect thing to use and follow along with as we do these shooter ready challenges month by month by month. The other sponsor, another longtime product, or you know, pro- a product that I've used a long time, as is, as has Jacob. You know, I've got mine right here. I bet Jacob has one within arm's reach. My cert pistol from Next Level Training. I was so thrilled when they came out the 320 edition because that's what you guys know I'm carrying these days. There's Jacobs. So 
Jacob's got his CERT Glock. I've got my CERT P320. They are awesome. Uh, they're, they're not... How do I put it? They're not the solution for everything dry fire, but they are a huge component, a huge solution for dry fire. Uh, and, and it pairs so nicely with LaserX dry fire software because especially when you want to do multiple shot drills. Now, today's drill that's featured in Shoot Ray Challenge doesn't require multiple shots, but uh, and it's also a bit challenging to do things like a double feed malfunction clearance with a cert pistol because the slide doesn't operate. You could go through the motions and simulate it, you know, but uh, anyway, we love the cert pistol. Appreciate Next Level Training for their support. Nextleveltraining.com is their website and place to find them. So anyway, today's episode, the mother of all malfunctions, also known as the type three malfunction, also known as the double feed where should we begin, Jacob? Well, let's talk about what it is. Yep. So a type one failure, failure to fire, type two failure, failure to uh, eject. And then we have the type three failure, the, the, the failure to extract. So the double feed or failure to extract or type three or whatever name we want to associate it with it. And what, this, what happens here is you fire uh, the gun and the slide cycles to the rear. And when that slide cycles to the rear, it's supposed to extract with a little fancy thing called an extractor, the now empty shell casing from the chamber. And it, it, it hooks it and pulls it back and ejects it uh, out of the gun, you know, off toward, you know, the back rear toward going down somebody's shirt. And uh, and that's that's what the gun's supposed to do. And as the slide returns forward, of course, it loads the next round from the top of the magazine and feeds it up the feed ramp into the chamber. And Riley will correct any of this vocabulary I get wrong here in just a moment. But with the double feed, uh, with the type three failure, what happens is the extractor effectively fails. It just fails to grab, hook onto, grab, extract, pull out the, the empty shell casing. The empty shell casing gets left behind in the chamber when the slide cycles and when the slide of course comes forward, it loads that next round from the magazine up the feed ramp and into the chamber, but that round can't seat. It, there's, it, it, it's, there's something in the way. There's an obstruction. There's an empty shell casing that's not supposed to be there. That, that was, was not extracted properly. And so now the, the gun is, is jammed up. It's, it, you have a malfunction. You effectively have uh, the slide can't come forward into battery because it's trying to feed this round up into the chamber. The round can't get into the chamber because there's an empty shell casing in the way that's not supposed to be there. And th this is what cause, causes our malfunction. Pretty. That's an acceptable way of describing it. Acceptable. Thank you, Riley. <laughs> I appreciate your stamp of approval. Just kidding. Uh, you know, so I, I wanted to expound just a, a little bit on the failure of the extractor, as you said. Uh, it, it could be an extractor issue. All right. So if you start experiencing a lot of d double feed type malfunctions, um, that is one thing I would certainly look at very soon. You know, I, I, my mind would go there, you know, like, hmm. Round is not getting ejected from, you know, or it's not getting extracted from chamber. Hmm, must have a problem with the thing that does the job of extracting the round. <clears throat> so, extractors oftentimes last many, many, many thousands of rounds. I've, seen, you know, I've actually I have guns I haven't replaced extractors on. Probably should uh, to be proactive about it. That probably are in the thirty to forty thousand round range. I'm talking about some of my co competition pistols that I that get shot quite a bit. Um, yeah, that's something that comes up every season. I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I should replace my extractor before I go into this new season. You know, just to be safe. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, they, they seem to last a long time. Uh, I think a Typical schedule you would see, depending on manufacturer or brand of gun, they might suggest you replace extractors every 10,000, every 20,000 rounds, something to that effect. But they'll typically go for longer than that. They're made of very hard steel. They can sometimes chip, depending on um, uh, on the specific uh, hardness of the steel. I mean, that's part of the thing. Hard steel means it, it'll it, it's resistant to wear, but also a little bit more prone to breakage at times. So <clears throat> that's the one thing to look at is has my extractor uh, and you can do that very simply by looking at the extractor itself. You should see a very well-defined kind of sharp, almost like fingernails edge 
to that extractor because that that's what it's there for is to ensure that it reliably hooks onto the base of that case, that rim, and pulls it out, does the job. Uh, could be a weak extractor spring, okay, because there you go. If you got less spring pressure pressing that extractor in and onto the rim, then that might cause some failures. Uh, it could be that you're shooting reloads and th- those rounds have been shot a bunch and reloaded a bunch and the rims on the cartridges on the cases are, are pretty worn. That might cause some extraction related issues. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. Oh, I, I reload and maybe I've reloaded these cases 10 times or whatever. Uh, could be that you chamber and unchamber and chamber and unchamber a, a defensive round a bunch of times and then you finally go to shoot it and you've worn the, the case or the, yeah, the case rim of that round. That could be something to consider there. But it also can be that for whatever reason, that particular round was overpressured, so to speak, or it had more pressure than maybe it should have. Uh, Could be that your chamber's dirty and a combination of that with whatever. I don't know. The point is, is like for whatever reason, that case could get stuck in, you know, that the force necessary to extract it from the chamber was just more than it typically would be, and therefore the extractor slipped off. So just some things to consider and to think about. Um, That's one I think that probably gets overlooked is, hey, you know, when's the last time you cleaned your gun, cleaned your chamber? Um, How dirty is that? What's the, you know, how dirty is the ammo you're running? Are you running steel case versus brass and so on and so forth? You'll probably see more fails to extract from steel case ammo than you would of your standard brass ammo. Uh, But realize every time that round's fired, that case expands slightly and then it quickly cools and contracts after that round leaves. And that in that brief moment, you know, it all takes just milliseconds, then contracts just enough that extractor is able to remove it. And something can go haywire and not allow it to happen. All right. So we have a stuck case in the chamber, a second round trying to go into it. We end up with a double feed. Now, sometimes I've seen it, Jacob, where you'll get that fail to extract, but there was not enough momentum in the movement of the slide of the gun to get the slide to go back far enough to quite pick up the next round. But it'll it'll kind of pick it up. It'll sort of like the edge of the slide, the piece that picks up the round, kind of catches enough of it, and it'll sort of shove it up part way and get stuck that way. Um, I've seen it happen a couple of different ways, but anyway, uh, that's the situation. All right. So we say double feed. It's rare, like very, very, very rare that you have a true double feed and that you have a live round in the chamber and a live round being pushed by a slide up behind that, that round that's in the chamber. Usually if we see that it's user error or user induced meaning that they failed to clear something like a failure to fire or failure to eject adequately, and they actually created the double feed themselves. In that event, it doesn't matter whether it's user-induced or gun-induced or ammo-induced. We still have to solve and fix it. And that's what this shooter-ready challenge for May of 2021 has to do with. Yep. And just like the last shooter ready challenge, your your approach to kind of a unique angle on this on this discussion and conversation was not just hey, what's the traditional way of doing it? Like you know, this is how you do it. Have a nice day. Your approach in the shooter ready challenge was to say, hey, here's the traditional way this malfunction is cleared. Um, but there are some maybe alternative methods that are arguably better, faster. Etc. And so let's put them to the test. Let's like actually pressure test these, uh, and 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 use a mechanism to measure the speed at least, and identify whether or not some of these other uh, process processes are better or, or faster for me, Riley, when I do them. So I think uh, a starting point here is to kind of just you know discuss kind of the traditional uh, industry standard approach to clearing a Type Three. A function. Does that sound like a good place to start? Sure. And by that, I guess that classic method, I mean, you're welcome to, to discuss it if you'd like, or I can, but I was just going to add that when we say that's like the industry accepted way, it's because that's what the NRA teaches in their curriculum. That's what all the law enforcement training and academies 
that that I'm familiar with. That's that's the way they teach it in those curriculums as well. Uh, and you'll see it talked about on in online blogs and other places. I mean, it's so so the traditional or classical way of solving the double feed malfunction is well published and well proliferated uh, in terms of the public knowledge. Um, you want me to keep going or you want to take it? Yeah. So I, I'm glad you said that though, about it being kind of, you know, well proliferated, you know, cause, but because things do change though, right? So five years ago we could have said, well, this is the you know accepted grip or this is the accepted stance. And so I think that you're, you're seeing, you know, that there's, there's now some kind of fringe discussion about maybe there is a better way to do this. And that's kind of what leads to our conversation. But anyway, so yeah, the traditional semi, whatever I called it, industry standard way of clearing the, the double feed, the type three failure. So step one, uh, lock slide to the rear. Now that sounds sometimes a little bit counterintuitive to the novice because the, the the observation is that the slide's already stuck to the rear, but it's it's not locked all the way to the rear. It, just because it's not all the way forward in battery does not mean it's not locked to the rear. And so step one traditionally would be to lock the slide to the rear. This is removing the pressure, the forward pressure on the round coming from the magazine that's pushing it up the feed ramp. And so as long as that pressure is there, it makes step two a little bit more difficult. So the traditionally what we, we see instructors teach to do is first lock the slide back. That removes, that takes off that pressure uh, to, to some degree. Step two, remove the magazine. Uh, it, it probably isn't going to drop free on its own like it might traditionally in your firearm. It probably means hitting the mag release and stripping that magazine free with certain degree of force because you have a round at the top of that magazine that's that's semi out of the magazine but still semi stuck in the magazine that that's almost acting like a like a lip like a like a hook that's preventing the thing from falling clear so generally a little bit of force is required to grab that magazine and pull it free step 3 traditionally would be to rack the slide several times and and i think you know if i had to throw out an average i think the the kind of the common uh, taught methodology is to rack the slide at least 3 times and this is you're maximizing the the you know odds of success of the extractor doing its job and getting the whatever thing that's stuck in the in the chamber, whether that's an empty shell casing or or a live round, uh, out. You know you're you're racking that slide repeatedly to really maximize the odds of it getting out. And now you have hopefully a clear gun that's completely unloaded. So reinsert uh, same mag or fresh mag, uh, rack slide and guns back on the fight. Yep. So, yeah, in, in a short form manner, it is lock, strip, rack, 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 insert mag, rack, fire. Yep. Yep. It's a lot of steps. It's a lot of st- things to remember. Uh, I remember when I first learned to clear a double feed malfunction, uh, many moons now at this point, uh, it, it's something that took a good amount of practice to get proficient at. And I would say that I got very proficient with it when I was going through uh, training in law, you know, on our, in our law enforcement uh, Academy training stuff uh, that we did um, years ago now at this point now too, uh, that we actually did this kind of little challenge, if you will, where um, everybody, you know, all the students participated in basically racing each other to see who could clear double feed the fastest. And Whoever's fastest, you know, is a winner. So, you know, a little bit of a competition. I like competition. I like being the fastest. Um, I was pretty dang fast. I came down to me and one other guy, and I think he edged me out just barely. And so, um, got very fast at clearing double female functions. But I'll say the absolute fastest I've ever cleared one using that technique is four to four and a half seconds in that ballpark. Which is pretty, I mean, that's moving along. Again, lock, strip, rack, 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 insert, rack, back up on target. Um, It doesn't take long to pass that four-second mark. I'd say most people I've observed as an instructor, and this became very evident to me running law enforcement qualifications, you know, the shooting quals. Um, There's a stage where they had to clear double feed, and you had, like, man, plenty of time to do it. It's been been a while since I looked at that course of fire. There's There was two different ones that we used. We moved over to another one. But I remember there was a few people struggling to get it done within the time frame that they had. I feel like it was like 10 seconds. 
And like a 10 seconds was an eternity for me when I was shooting the qual, you know, and that's all it was, was you you'd get the, the start to, to begin the start timer or whatever. Or if we were doing quals at a fancy range where we had turning targets, targets would turn. You were to press your trigger, diagnose du- double feed, clear the double feed, get it back, you know, into battery. And I think fire one or two, I think it was two shots. And I'd be done in five seconds. And then, you know, tick, 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 tick. And then finally the time expires and you're watching, you, I'm looking at my fellow officers on the line, like, what's going on? Like, it's just double feed. Point is, it takes some practice to learn and to get proficient at, just as anything in shooting does. Um, and when we talk about pistol sh- pistol skill, there's shooting skill and there's gun manipulation skill. Yeah, they all go together as sort of one big package, but there's manipulation and there's shooting, right? They're they're kind of two subsets of that in you know that whole package of, of being a proficient pistol shooter, and the manipulations piece or excuse me, the shooting piece is itself is hard enough. The manipulation piece is a whole other element that many people, many shooters struggle with. Uh, yeah, and, I, and, and maybe there'll be something we'll talk on more, touch on more, but I think one of the challenges, yeah, we'll definitely talk about it more, but one of the challenges is, is setting it up to train it. But, but specifically when we talk about the time it takes, I think that we, some, you gotta be careful to not be too naive because traditionally the, the student knows it's coming. Right. It's like, okay, like we're going to set this up. You know, you're going to get the go command. You're going to come up, you're going to press the trigger, and then you're going to proceed to, to diagnose and clear. And, and that's, that's obviously not reality normally, right? Like normally I just have a malfunction and some of us train to diagnose and then, you know, perform proper clearance. Other people just kind of, you know, I'm going to perform clearance A. And then if that doesn't work, I'm going to perform clearance B. But uh, I, I just wanted to you know, note that when we talk about, you know, the time it takes to, to do these things, we got to remember that that time is relevant is relative to the context of I'm a student on a range and I know I'm about to have to clear one. I'm about to get the go command. And I know that my, uh, when I get this command, I'm going to perform this clearance. But when you're just shooting and you stumble upon a malfunction, it's, it's a different, it's a different game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I'll say this much. Um, it's certainly advisable. It's strongly recommended, encouraged, to practice malfunction clearing in your dry fire practice. I mean, that's part of the reason why this was featured as part of shooter rated challenge. Um, But there, if you shoot enough and a great way to get that round count up is by shooting competitively. uh, And it exposes you to a variety of shooting environments where you're a little more likely to experience some malfunctions. Uh, you could also, you'll probably get a lot of the same experience if you, if you're really a hardcore trainer, like you, like a hobbyist, I should say a hobbyist student, not necessarily a trainer, but meaning that like you go to a lot of training classes in the course of a year, you'll probably expose yourself to enough of this. But my point is like, if you shoot enough, you will get to where that manipulation, meaning the whole like shooting, 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 malfunction occurs recognizing what it is and solving the problem well, you'll i have yet to see a high skilled shooter and i'm talking like these are the guys that finish in your top 10% at matches uh, i have yet to see somebody that doesn't like just automatically know how to fix the pistol it just it sort of comes with that um, i won't say automatically but you shoot enough you're going to be exposed enough to enough you you'll you'll gain experience in clearing those things as they occur um, but, but for most of us, we are not shooting that much. So we really need to, uh, add a lot of dry fire component to it and where possible simulating it at the range and live fire, which, uh, you know, there's ways of doing that. We'll talk about, um, but anyway, so to your point, Jacob, when a malfunction occurs, uh, let me just address real quick, two schools of thought. And I see logic to both ways. Um, if you are extremely skilled, meaning that you can take one glance at a pistol, know exactly what's going on, and immediately go to solving the problem, then actually doing that is probably not a bad idea for you. Okay, I recently experienced this, by the way. I had a malfunction shooting. I actually had what could have been a squib load. I was shooting a match a couple weeks ago, 
And on my second shot, my second shot, it was kind of bizarre. I was like, wow, that was weird that it would happen then. I fired around and I could tell it was way underpowered. I mean, it's, my first shot was like bang, and the second round was like pop. <laughs> and 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 then you know, by by that point though, it was this was on a kind of a hoser style stage. By that point, I've already moved on to my next. I've done my next transition and I've hit the trigger a third time before I like it all. Cal- you know, before it all the brain caught up to it, and I went click. Oh wait, gun's not working. Must solve gun now. And I took one look at it, recognized what was going on. I also, in that moment, remembered that I had had a pop and not a bang, but I had felt that that gun had recoiled. And to me, it said that round went out the barrel. So I I had that brief moment, just in that moment, as I was diagnosing the problem, looking down the gun briefly, it probably only took about, I've got video of it. I should go pull this up. It probably only took about a third of a second, maybe a half second tops. But in that Oh, something's wrong. Quick look, diagnose. Thought process the whole way through that was what's problem? Oh, I see problem. Recognize problem. Also was simultaneously you know making that decision was that a squib or not a squib? And and all I did is I just racked the gun. I just racked the slide. Guns back in battery, back on target. Went on went went along my way. So I didn't automatically go tap rack. You know like. I've taught students for years, hey, just do a tap rack. Like if something goes wrong, tap rack. Automated process. It's a good thing. Um, but in that moment, like it all just happened lickety split. And I knew exactly what I needed to do to get the gun back working again. Uh, it was very, very, very fast. Um, my point here is if you had a double feed or even like a stovepipe, there's guys out there that can glance at it, diagnose it, and then solve it in still less time than it takes most people to just do a tap rack. Um, but I think that there's a lot of sense in the logic of as soon as the gun fails to function, let's go to a tap rack or just a rack. You remember from last episode where we discussed this, um, you know, and if that doesn't solve it, then proceed to solve it as if it's a double feed automatically. All yeah. right. I think that method, when it's especially when it's a double feed, will take a little bit more time, but not by much. And I think that's okay. And and I think you make up that time with maybe using different ways of solving that double feed, uh, which we which we will talk about here. Um, so anyway, point is like you have two options when the gun doesn't go bang when you expect it to go bang. You can either basically look at the gun, visually diagnose what the problem is, and then solve it. Or you can do an automatic process of tap rack and then proceed to double feed if tap rack doesn't fix. I think both methods are have merit and are acceptable. And again, if you're very proficient, regardless of which one you choose, you'll still be very, very fast at solving the problem. To me, experience is the biggest indicator here. Like I know that for me, uh, I don't, when I have a malfunction, I don't like my, there's not some subconscious part of my brain that recognizes, did I get a click or did I get a dead trigger or wait, did I visually see that my slide, you know, didn't go back into bad? Like, I don't like, I just don't, I'm not processing those inputs fast enough because my skill and strength isn't there yet. So to me today, I think that my best procedure is just presume <laughs> a type one or type two failure and solve it. And if that doesn't fix it, presume a type three failure. So that's what I do today because my, like, you know, my cognitive stack is already like, Oh crap, you know, something's gone wrong and I'm not, I'm not, I don't, you know, I, it just doesn't work for me. I'm just not going to be as proficient at diagnosing and then proceeding to the proper clearance as I'm going to be to just like automated process when malfunction happens, perform a, and then if not fixed, perform B. So that's me. That's what I do uh, mm-hmm. for my current level of, of skill mm-hmm. and ability. Yeah. Like I said, there's, there's logic to that. And, and that is the way that I, I still tend to teach that part of my curriculum to students is problem with gun, assume tap rack or just a rack. And then if you still have a problem, fix double feed. And for me now, fixing a double feed is way simpler than what we started the episode with, talking about 
lock, strip, rack, 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 insert, rack, right? So let's talk about that. So in the Shooter Ready Challenge video this month, um, I put I put everything on the clock, just like we did with the type 1, type 2 malfunction uh, clearances uh, in the last Shooter Ready Challenge, let's see, April 2021. Actually, we said that was failure to fire. Um, didn't necessarily call that a type 1 and type 2, although you would practice it much the same way. That's why it is, you know, it's just the, yeah, it is what it is. It's failure to fire malfunction. Um, but the distinction between a type one and type two, we're talking about a failure to fire and a failure to eject or stovepipe, and they are solved basically the same way for most, for most people, most guns. Um, but the diagnosis might be different depending on how you want to go about it. Meaning that in one case we get a click and no bang. In the other case we get dead trigger, but a double feed is also a double, a, a dead trigger. Um, and so anyway, just something to think about. You want to be thinking through all this stuff and think about what makes the most sense for me and, and what helps me be the most efficient. I can at solving the problem based on the information I'm getting from the gun and you're getting tactile and or visual information. So keep those things in mind, but let's break down these different, um, options by time. Okay. So we already walked you through the traditional method of solving a double feed takes for most people at least five seconds, oftentimes more. I would say the average time I see from a lot of students that have gone through my classes is probably in the six to eight second range, uh, pretty typically after they've had a little bit of exposure to it and some practice doing it. Uh, but with, with, you know, some good, concentrated pr practice on fixing double feeds you you should be able to get down to five seconds or less pretty quickly it's not a complicated process it's just a process of remembering all the steps and, and not having to think your way through them um so i t i timed that out in the video and i think it comes out to like four upper fours is like 4.6 4.7 seconds or something like that so then I introduce you to a second method. So that's what we're doing for you all now on the podcast. Here's method two, all right? And I first came across this a couple of years ago from Bill Blowers over at Tap Rack Tactical. I think we talked about him last episode about just racking the slide versus doing a whole tap rack. Uh, and and got to give him credit because this guy has uh, put a lot of thought into this and has a lot of experience to back it up. Um, but with respect to double feeds, his method is a little bit, it's, it's a lot more simple than what we just described from the traditional method. Uh, it's essentially unload the gun and reload the gun, um, which is honestly, if you think about it, clearing a double feed, even the traditional way, that's what you're doing. But the, 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 the thing in the middle is that we rack it three times and we're told we need to rack three times to ensure we got the malfunction cleared out of there with it, you know, the stuck case, uh, whatever else it's stuck or impeding operation of the gun. We got to, we always have to rack it three times to ensure that we clear the malfunction. So, um, Bill Blower's method is basically the same, but we're removing the locking the slide to the rear and we're removing two of the extra racks of the slide. So, and, th and this is key because again, every step takes time. So if we just simply remove locking the slide to the rear, right, in the same amount of time it takes to do that, I would have already proceeded to removing the magazine from the gun if I'd used Bill Blower's method. So just give, put it in the context of, like, that automatically you're on step two when most people are still on step one. So you're, you're, you're just leveling up in terms of your time, time savings by going with Bill Blower's method. So his method is just hit the mag release, grab the magazine and rip it out of the gun. Now it's not going to work if your gun of choice does not have a magazine that you can grab easily. Mm -hmm. Good point. Okay. So uh, by that, I could think of probably a, a handful of guns out there and, and some of these are going to be really small micro compact guns. Um, like uh, uh, let me th see. You come up with a specific example, like even like the Smith and Wesson 380 bodyguard still has a magazine that you can kind of grab onto. It's got a little bit of a base plate there. LCP 
Yeah, there's a little bit there you can grab onto. Um, it's going to be more of your older guns. Okay, classic 1911s. Think about it. You have a flat metal base pad, and it goes into a gun and sits flush. And the reason why the 1911 magazine on the front bottom of it has a little extended lip is so you could hook that and pull it out. But you might not be able to get as much purchase on that sure. That's as you would like to be able to just rip the magazine out of the gun. Point is, most modern pistols, like if I use this cert as an example, okay, because this this is pretty true to the actual 320 uh, gun. Um, you've got a a magazine base pad and a little bit of a recess in the bottom of the grip that you can get your index finger and your thumb or your support hand on there, hit the mag release with your firing hand, and just strip it out. And so that's Bill's recommendation. And I think this does work on probably 98 plus percent of guns that people are carrying today. So remove the locking, the slide to the rear step out of the process, automatic time savings. Now we've got the magazine out of the gun. Rack the gun one time. 99.9% of the time that's going to clear out the malfunction. Magazine back in gun, rack it again. Essentially, what you're doing there is you've reloaded. That's all it is. So so up to that point, it's hit mag release, strip magazine out of the gun, rack it once, and then you're just reloading the gun. Mag in, rack the slide. Okay? So we're removing two racks of the slide, removing the locking the slide to the rear, automatic time savings. And I can run that version of a, ty- of a double feed clearance in, in, in less than four seconds upper threes. If I practiced it some more, you know, I demonstrate in the video, <clears throat> I actually haven't practiced that particular method, you know, a ton. Um, and, and keep in mind in the context of that video, I'm, I'm demonstrating three different things and I'm having, there's some cognitive load that's occurring as I'm filming the video trying to go, okay, here's the classic method. Here's Blower's method. And then we're going to do this other one. Um, but I think, based on experience and, and, and having, you know, played with that a little bit, I think I can do that method in honestly less than, in probably about three and a quarter seconds thereabouts, pretty close. Yeah. yeah Both- that, that, that makes sense. Right. Cause the, again, the elimination is I'm eliminating locking the slide back and I'm eliminating two of the three slide rackings. So yep. three, you know, half second to three quarters of a second sounds reasonable. Yep. So, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I, I think at the very least you're saving a second, um, probably second and a half, close to. So, and I see some co- questions coming in. I'll probably address some of those questions here momentarily. Um, so, I played around with this some, and I, I I've come up with another method. I don't know if I should say I've come up with it. I think there's a couple of guy, other guys out there doing this. I haven't, but I didn't necessarily see this in a video somewhere and go, oh, I'm going to adopt that. I wasn't exposed to it in a class or anything like that. Um, but I heard some guys kind of talk about it uh, loosely in conversation, and I wasn't sure if I got got the whole context of what they were talking about. But I just played around with some things, and so here's my method for clearing a double feed, and, and this is demonstrated in the shooter raid challenge video as well. And all it is, it's very similar to Bill's method, but now we're going to just, we're going to remove all racking of the slide except for the very last one. So we're stripping the magazine out. Then we're putting the magazine back in the gun and racking the slide. Okay. And I've tested this a bunch. Like I spent one afternoon uh, with a couple different guns, Glocks. P320s. Um, I had the opportunity to test it on a friend's uh, MMP. Um, I tested it on a couple of Tauruses. I tested it on a Springfield uh, XD or XDM. Uh, I tested it on a 1911 a bunch of times because the 1911, I was a little unsure if it would be as reliable uh, to work. And I found it worked with all guns I tested it with, and I did like hundreds of manipulations to see if this would work. And it worked flawlessly. So what? So all, again, all we're talking about here is if we have a double feed malfunction, we're gonna strip the magazine out. So we hit the mag release, grab the magazine, rip it out, but just stick the magazine right back in, rack the slide. What what's happening is you have the top round in the magazine caught in the action, but you're ripping everything out, and it 
basically pulls that that round out as, as well, typically more often than not. And that round usually just falls to the ground. And now we have a magazine and we're just going to stick it back in. And then racking the slide is pulling the stuck case out of the chamber, sending that away, and then we're putting a fresh round in. Now, the danger of this is that it could be that if you have a bad extractor, it may not pull the round out on that one chance of racking the slide. Yeah, but you see, to me, that's 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 a that's a uh, <laughs> to me that's like well, then if if you have a bad extractor and it's not just a one-off, it's not just an outlier that it failed, but you actually have a bad extractor and it's going to fail consistently, then you got bigger problems anyway, right? Then the gun's just going to continue to malfunction. You know, so so whether you do the you know new Riley version of the clearance or the traditional version, it it matters not because you're still going to just run another malfunction if the extractor is legitimately bad. Now, obviously, there's degrees of bad, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and what percentage of the time it's going to malfunction. But anyway, I, I guess I'm just and, trying to and you know. and that's been my logic too as I've thought my way through this is that. Well, if there's a problem with the gun, then I'm probably going to have that problem again. Now, I might get one more or two more rounds off, and, and that might be what, what I need to, to do. Um, at the same time, it's also a low, a very, very low probability event that uh, um, that this doesn't, you know, that we actually have this problem. It, it's going to be a little bit gun-specific, though, all right? So, I don't know that I would, uh, I might have a different approach if I was carrying a 1911-style gun were uh with the the extractors on those like and that's uh, that's actually a an armorer's type test that you would do with a 1911 is actually check extraction uh and the extractor on those guns uh that's a a, a part that is is a known failure part on 1911s that you need to know that the extractors in good condition or not um not, not, I'm not going to go into the details of what's involved in doing that extractor test on a 1911 but it's relevant. Um, so, but I think, you know, we're talking here primarily, most people are carrying Glocks, SIGs, Smith and Wessons, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's like 90% of people, what they're carrying today. Um, I, I have a high degree of confidence that this method of just simply stripping the magazine out, sticking it back in, racking the slide and putting the gun back into the fight is it's going to work 99 plus percent of the time. And in that moment, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We have to, you have to realize this. If I have a problem with my gun, it may get me killed. Okay. I may lose that fight. Every split second, I say like, because every tenth of a second, really put it in this way. If you're shooting 0.2, 0.3 second splits, every 0.2 and 0.3 is time that I'm not putting around at my adversary. That's another quarter second or so that I am not solving the problem of stopping the threat. And so time is precious. So if I have a problem with a gun, it, it may end up costing me the fight and that it is just what it is. In the moment that my gun stops working, the utmost important thing is for me to get that gun running again, period. And so I'm going to take every chance that I can to get that gun working again in as little time as possible because there's nothing else that matters. Now, maybe I get that initial solve, you know, solving of, of the gun done and then realize, nope, still have a problem here. Um, it is what it is. But I feel like for me in that moment, I've got to take that chance because every quarter second is time lost that I'm not putting around on target. There's a there's a balance of probability thing here. And what I mean by that is that the double feed type 3 failure is already a pretty rare occurrence, statistically speaking. You know, it's not a malfunction that you often get. And so if we then are, are looking at that and saying, well, let's go one step deeper and say, you know, if I eliminate the slide lock back and I eliminate, you know, dropping the mag and racking, if I just go to, you know, what I'm calling the Riley technique of just strip, reinsert, and rack and go, you know, is it conceivable that, you know, I'm going to have, I, I didn't solve my problem because I skipped a couple of these, you know, traditional steps? Conceivable, yes, but but 
we're, we're talking about balance of odds, right? I mean, it's already statistically improbable you're going to have a double feed. And then how much more statistically improbable is that the double feed you're going to have is the one that's not cleared by this simpler, shortcutted version of the clearance. Uh, yes. I, I don't know. I just think that, you know, statistically speaking, like let's keep the context in mind. Um, yes. One one other it, thing. It, I, go ahead, Riley. I was, and, and again, I, you're hitting the nail, the nail on the head as far as I'm concerned. That's exactly the thought process I've gone through. And again, I feel like in that moment, if there's a chance, like if I could solve the gunfight in three seconds or do something else that is going to take me five seconds to finish the fight, I feel like I have to take the chance of getting it done in three in the three seconds versus the five seconds, because I might not get past three seconds. If that makes sense. Like, I feel like I have to take that chance. Like if you've ever taken a chance in your life, when you're in a, in the middle of that fight, like you have to take every chance you can to finish the fight. So I'm, I'm willing to roll the dice a little bit on, on something like that. This is me personally. I'm speaking for myself, but this is my logic and I'm sharing it with you. And some of you will go, Oh, okay. That makes sense. That jives with me. Some of you others might go, mm, I'm going to stick with my old, you know, boomer method of fixing. Double. <laughs> Thanks for making it sound so attractive. Um, <laughs> so I, I one, one point I wanted to clarify in, in the Riley method, it, it it's really critical that when you when you strip that magazine out that you remove the magazine fully because you you're having to allow that the partially fed round at the top of the magazine has to fall free through the magwell. Yeah. And so like if I if I pull the magazine out like partially and then stick it right back in, then I'm I'm not solving the problem. So yeah. I just wanted to like for, for those who are not following like the mechanical aspect of this, you know, the 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 mag's got to get stripped and out of the way sufficiently that something can drop out of the magwell before you reinsert it. Now, here's the thing. Uh, you, it's going to take some amount of force to get that magazine to pop out because, again, we have the top round of that mag stuck in the action of the pistol. And sure. so if you're not stripping with enough force to kind of to have that same force sort of carry that magazine well beyond the base of the gun, the, the, the magwell opening, you're probably not using the level of force I think you should to ensure you actually strip the magazine out of the gun. So so I think by nature of the way that would be solved is that, that the force that you would put into that to strip the magazine out of the gun should pull it away from the gun far enough and long enough to then you know, give that yeah. round time to fall free point. before you reinsert it. Now, here's, here's another thing. Um, we should talk a little bit about retention of the magazine versus... Uh, going to a backup magazine. Sure. And that's all going to be contextual. All right. Uh, if you're a law enforcement officer or security officer that's armed, uh, you carry your typical loadout of pistol with a full mag and two or three spares on your belt. Um, maybe it makes sense to just strip and drop that mag and grab a whole fresh one. Um, me, you know, just, just because you know, more than likely you've got, spares. Whereas in the civilian context, um, many folks don't carry a spare magazine. Um, some do. Some maybe only carry spare part of the time, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, so there's a difference between a law enforcement or security or military role even and, and the civilian concealed carrier role. But it's also going to be de dependent on what you as a civilian carrier uh, what your typical loadout is, what your philosophy, if you will, is as, as, as far as the gear that you carry on you. Uh, you so you got to make that decision for yourself. For me, nine, 98 days out of 100, I'm probably carrying a spare mag. Uh, so, you know, at least gives me an, an option. Um, you might be so nuanced in your experience level to be able to judge relatively quickly, like, yeah, that's kind of empty or recognize, oh, I've been in this gunfight for a few seconds. I've probably expended most of a magazine and you may be skilled enough to make the decision in the, on the fly that I need to just dump this and get a fresh in there because I'm probably getting low anyway. Um, that's obviously more advanced, more, you know, it's a higher level of skill. I think anybody would recognize that. 
I think I'm at a level where I could uh, recognize that, um, personally speaking. Um, I, I, I'm at a point now, Jacob, where when I shoot my gun, I can feel the gun change. Like I can feel the gun get lighter as I shoot it, if that makes sense. Um, I remember a time in my life when some, I remember some high level competitive shooter saying something similar and I was like, that's insane, you know, but I'm, that's kind of where I'm at now because you get so in tune with your equipment, with your gun, with shooting itself that you're just, you're, you and the gun are kind of one, so to speak. And I, I still have room to grow and things to learn, but that's where I am now is that I can, I can fire a gun and kind of feel about where I'm at, uh, capacity wise. Um, so take, take all that with a grain of salt, but also take it into consideration. And again, look at how you carry typically what your typical loadout is, uh, and make a decision. Hey, does it make sense for me to just dump that mag and get it fresh? Cause I know I've got a 21 round or 22 round spare that I carry. Okay, cool. You know, if you don't have a spare, then you're dropping a mag and that's, that's just making your problem worse. And so now you got to retrieve that mag. I, I think in probably many contexts in the civilian application of this, it probably makes sense to just remove magazine and take that same magazine and stick it back in the gun. It, that's certainly the bucket I'm in because I do not have a spare magazine consistently enough that uh, I want to have that kind of muscle memory. If I know if someone's going to yell at me for using the word muscle memory, you'll get over it. So I think it's important to clarify how you set up the drill yeah. in dry fire. Yeah. So, because I think I think that you know the the disclaimer that has to come with this conversation is each of us individually has to decide which of these clearance techniques is best for you, mm-hmm. and and to, in order to really identify that, I think one a person should set it up like you did in dry fire and and run them, um, but you also have to run them enough that you're you're doing each of them proficiently enough for it to really be an apples to apples comparison. But let's talk about the setup. So the way you you did this, which I was when I first started watching, I was like, wait, how how are you setting this up? But it was it was quite clever. So you used a laser dot uh, trainer. So, you know, laser ammo cartridge insert thingy. In your case, the laser dot trainer from Ready Up Gear. Uh, Drop that in the chamber. And then in your magazine, you put a mag block, which is sold with the barrel block. And then on top of the mag block, you put in a dummy round. So those are the three tools a person would need to set this up the way you, well, and plus you're using the the laser software, uh, LASRX. So those would be the four tools that a person would need to, to replicate what you did and how you set this up on shooterreadychallenge.com. So now you rack the slide and you ease it forward. That dummy round is getting fed up. It's running into the back of the laser cartridge uh, that's in the chamber. Now we have our simulated double feed. You perform your clearance. And when you do, you you know, the, it, the, the round is going to come out. You know, the, the dummy round is going to be the, the bad round that's that's extracted or whatever from, from the, the chamber is going to fall free. And when you reinsert the magazine again, you already have the laser dot still in the chamber, right? It's, it, it's rimless. So it's not getting extracted. And when you rack the slide all as well, because the mag block is allowing the slide to come forward back into battery, simulating as if it was loading the next round into the car, into the chamber. And then you press the trigger and you get the laser dot. So, you know, we, we set it up. We go, hit go on the software. We get our you know random delay countdown. We get the go signal. We press the trigger. Get you know we we get the 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 you know, dead trigger. We perform the clearance. You know press the trigger again. This time we get a laser, and that's our our split time. Mm-hmm. That's right. That is exactly how I set it up in dry fire to use it with LaserX software. And the purpose of that was we want to time this in dry fire. How can we do that? Well, I know I need a laser shot on target that the camera can see that will tell it to stop the shot timer. And, uh, yeah, I just thought my way through that problem. And this is the first time I ever did this, by the way. I hadn't ever uh, done it in this exact manner in in dry fire. I mean, I've certainly practiced double feeds many times in dry fire. But to utilize it in a way where I could extract the shot time data uh, from the time it took me to solve that malfunction that required a little bit of creativity. And, you know, the key there being, of course, like it, for me, it was really simple. It's like, well, I can have a round in the magazine pushed up into the back of the, la- of the laser dot trainer. Uh, that's, that's a non-issue. But then 
you know, do I then automatically go to a spare magazine that's got a mag block in it, you know, so that I can put the magazine, practice putting the magazine in and racking the slide? Well, then I'm always training the one thing. So then it's like, oh, but wait, put a round on top of the mag block. Uh, and it worked like a charm. Worked exceptionally well. And the mag block is specifically designed to allow that to be a possibility. Yeah. Uh, we know that from from the designer. Yeah. Yep. So that worked out really well. And 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 then and that's how in dry fire we were able to measure that again. It took me a little less than five seconds to solve the double feed the traditional way. It took me three and a half seconds-ish, three, maybe upper threes, uh, to solve it the Bill Bowers way. And then took me a little under three seconds, if I recall, to do my method, uh, which I think I can even get that time a little bit down further. Again, keep in mind, I was a lot of cognitive load as I was trying to think my way through these things and demonstrate the different methods. Um, if, you know, if you just commit to and stick with one method, it's going to uh, pay dividends in terms of uh, efficiency. So now how would we set up and practice double feeds in just standard dry fire practice in case you're not familiar? That's pretty simple, but it, it is advisable that you have uh, a dummy rounds uh, available to do this. And so uh, simply you could use an empty case, but you could drop a dummy, dummy round into the chamber of your gun with the, with the slide locked to the rear, then put a loaded magazine loaded with dummy rounds into the gun, ease the slide forward. It'll push that first dummy round into the back of the either dummy round or empty case that's in the chamber and then proceed to, uh, to solve the double feed malfunction. And you're just working with dummy rounds, um, and that works just fine. But again, the the goal here for Shooter Ready Challenge was let's put this on the clock. Let's use it with Laser X. How can we do that? And that required a little different uh, level of creativity. Yep. My last thought, because uh, I think we've 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 pretty much wrapped this one up. I just feel like any conversation about Type Three malfunctions is incomplete without a shameless plug that for which I have a financial incentive to make. And that is for the type three malfunction round. So I think I, I kind of hinted at this earlier, but one of the challenges with double feed malfunction training practice is that you always know when it's coming because in order to set it up to simulate the failure, you, it has to be your first shot. It can't be like, you know, when we're training a type one or type two failure, I can intersperse a dummy round with live rounds in a magazine. I can be on the range and go bang, 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 click. Oh, time to run my so it's not as predictable i don't know when it's going to happen right but in the case of a double feed traditionally the only ways we've ever been able to set up the failure was is, was in such a way that we knew it was coming it's it's the first round right so we we set it up you know however mechanism method any given instructor prefers but you know it's going to be okay you know press out to target and press trigger okay go like run your clearance we know it's going to be the first the first shot fired is going to be your failure and so the Type 3 malfunction round is a relatively new product uh, manufactured by a guy out in your home state in Idaho, um, which we, we sell on concealedcarry.com is a phenomenal tool because it allows us to train a Type 3 failure the same way we train a Type 1 or Type 2 failure. And in fact, if you really want to screw people up, you do both. You take the Type 3 malfunction round and dummy round and you throw those in with some live rounds in a magazine. And, uh, and then they don't, they know they're that at some point they're going to get a malfunction, but they don't even know which one. And so that'll really mess mm -hmm. with people. Yeah. Um, and, and so anyway, it's an opportunity that, that we just didn't have two years ago. The product didn't exist mm -hmm. and now the product exists and it's really cool. Very clever. Mm -hmm. And I, I've tested, uh, all of these methods we've talked about today, the three methods with the type three malfunction round and all methods work equally well. Uh, with type three malfunction round, which I think is a testament to to the product um, functioning, um, you know, like it's meant to to simulate type three malfunctions in live fire, and uh, it's 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 genius because yeah, previously you could not reliably induce double feed malfunctions in live fire to practice, you know, to get good meaningful practice on them, and now you can with a relatively inexpensive product. I mean, it's and I'll, I'll say this: there, there, there is a there is another product that exists. I'm not sure if it's still actively being made. That was quite a bit more expensive, and you'd get a single unit, and it would probably last longer. But one unit and like probably almost double the price. Instead, of with the type three malfunction rounds that we sell on concealedcarry.com, uh, what like 
20 ish, 19 bucks, 1999. $19.95 for a pack of five. Yeah. You get five of these things. So that's, you can set those up in multiple magazines, get all kinds of great practice. And each one of those lasts dozens, dozens of cycles of, of, of yeah. times. I mean, and it's, it's better too, because the previous competing product you were hinting at didn't fully allow you to practice it because correct. you had to dump the mag and go to, to a new mag. Right. That's yeah, right. it it wouldn't you know fall out like a traditional double feed would and allow you to reinsert the same mag. So yep. anyway, yeah, it, it's a genius. It's just yes. awesome. These little <laughs> polymer things that that you would you look at and go, you wouldn't think much of them, but they are, are an incredibly valuable training tool uh, for this very thing in live fire. So, yep. Absolutely. Guys, you, again, you can find the type three malfunction rounds on concealedk.com. I think we're probably their biggest online seller, seller of that product. Uh, um, I've never asked, but yeah. odds are high. I, yeah, I would think so. So yeah, good place to pick them up. And of course, hey, it's a good opportunity while we're talking about all this stuff to remind you to pick up a copy of Laser X software at laserapp.com. And also... If you don't have one already, I know they are back ordered, and we hope that they'll stop being back ordered. But the next level training sir pistols, all right. At least you can place an order and you can bide your time. You know, wait at the mailbox till you shrivel up and die. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of bit of a long uh, wait on the sir pistols, but um, just know that it's worth it. I I feel uh, if you don't have one already. Um, get one. Okay. And, and wait for it if you have to, uh, because it will give you some additional flexibility and options and dry fire practice together with software like laser X. And those are sponsors of today's episode. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed, uh, uh, the content today. Again, you will want to go to shooterreadychallenge.com to see the latest video. If you're listening to this episode way down the road, uh, then just go back to the May, 2021, uh, shooter rate challenge video, because uh, it is a you know it is a catalog that just keeps you know pushing. We, we release the next one and we, and everything just gets pushed down. But you can go to the Type Three Failure Clearance video from May 2021 and uh, see everything that we just talked about today in that video show and see it demonstrated as well as timed and then kind of my takeaways from that. And then I would encourage you, as is the purpose with Shooter Aid Challenge, to actually participate month by month by month in doing those various things, these various challenges and drills in your dry fire practice. Uh, that is our hope with Shooter Aid Challenge is to encourage and inspire you guys to do more dry fire. We do need to announce this week's podcast giveaway winner before we wrap up the show today, Jacob. Uh, we had a number of entries for a Ready Up Gear belt clip. Looks like this, in fact. I got one right here. Mm. Um, these are great. So this guy here clips onto your belt while you're at the range. And this part here is where you can snap your hearing protection, your earmuffs, onto. Just gives you a nice, convenient place to clip those on. You know, because if you're like me, when I go to the range, there's times where I have my ears on. There's times where I take them off, back on, back off, that's, that sort of thing. Maybe it's not as common when you're just going to an indoor range and you're going to be inside there the whole time. You got to have your ear pro on all the time. But uh, when I'm on the outdoor range, I'm taking stuff on and off all the time. And, I, you know, I used to put my my ear pro up on my head, used to put it down on my leg. Um, either method always kind of drove me bonkers and so just clip it onto the belt man using the ready up gear belt clip um so one last year matthew wrote the name wrong real quickly the, the product is the ear clip from right ah. here oh i guess it goes on your sense. belt but it's yeah but the product is the ear clip that, that that actually makes more sense uh yeah so ready up gear ear clip clips onto your belt and your hearing protection <laughs> we have one lucky winner of one of these so, and by the way, guys, where you sign up each week for the giveaway is concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. All right. So don't forget to sign up. Uh, this next week, we're going to be giving away an MCF spark flashlight from Ready Up Gear. So one of these great little compact flashlight unit that's very bright uh, for its size. Awesome performance for a little light. We'll give away 
one of these to a lucky winner next week. If you sign up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. So um, our winner, Jacob, do you have the name or should I give the name? I got it. Okay. The name is Chad. Chad. There's too many Chads. Everyone's like, wait, it's me. Chad, Chad. last name of, it starts with the letter B as in boy. So B. Chad, B as in boy. There might be more than one of those. But if your name is Chad, last name starts with a B, you should go check your email inbox. Uh, Matthew probably already sent the email out to yep. notify you. And so you do need to respond to that email uh, with your address so we can get it shipped out. Yeah. There you go. Congrats, Chad, on winning this week's prize. All right, guys. Well, we're going to sign on out of here and let you go. Uh, you won't hear from us again until next week. So until then, have a great rest of your week, a great weekend. In fact, it's a mem- it's Memorial Day weekend coming up here. Yeah. Jacob, I see that face. You're like, really? Crap. <laughs> you know what that means? Yes. Holiday on Monday. Yeah. That means nobody working. That means no packages going out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, guys, have a great Memorial Day weekend. We'll see you next week. Until then, train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. <laughs>